We'll be reading verses uh, 6 through 8, as soon as my notes come up. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, a familiar passage, I trust to us, verses that um, I do trust that we know, um, challenged at times to see them come to fruition, but yet things that are to be realized in the life of a believer. Uh, so let's read verses 6 through 8. He says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are just, excuse me, Jumping ahead of myself here. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Let's pray. Father, we come to Thee. We do thank You that we can gather ourselves together in Thy house, that we can set aside the cares and distractions of our lives and bring our hearts and minds in focus to you. That we are open and yielded vessels in your hands. That the Holy Spirit has free course in our lives now to take your word and draw it deep to change us, to mold and shape us as believers into the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray that we would be accepting of those changes that you seek to bring about. That, Father, we are eager to see Christ's likeness formed in us. We pray, Father, for that soul that may be lost. Draw them unto thee this morning. As we look at this passage and they see the emptiness in their lives, the vacancy of these truths, may they look to Christ who is the one who can bring peace to the soul. Draw them unto thee this morning, we ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we noted thanksgiving and peace. Thanksgiving, it is that time of year when people pause from the hustle and bustle of their lives and reflect upon their lives. Sadly, it is not a pause and reflection upon God, who alone is to be thanked for all that we have. Instead, most just pause and consider that there are others less fortunate than themselves, and some will seek to do good to relieve the burdens of those less fortunate. And I'm not knocking those things, please. Um, I can think of an uh, individual that, I, that was coming to mind with this, that you know, they have Thanksgiving traditions. They would often go down to the homeless shelter and feed uh, be part of those that would be dishing up the food for those uh, less fortunate. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not knocking that. I'm not slamming that. But really, is that why we have Thanksgiving? So that we can help the less fortunate one time a year? We, as Christ would say, we have the poor with us always. Uh, we have ministries to do, but, you know, sadly, that is what people think of Thanksgiving. Well, that's when I go and, and I go down to such and such, and I do this for some people that are not as, as fortunate as I am, and I can help them out, and that's Thanksgiving. Is that what the pilgrims did? 
No, it's not. It was a time of reflecting on God and how God had provided and how God is providing. But our secular society, of course, God is not an acceptable person anymore in society. We can't bring up his name. Oh, no, 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 we can't do that. We might offend somebody. Um, and so, unfortunately, the Judeo-Christian ethic, the Judeo-Christian basis for our society is, is quickly deteriorating, is, is leaving. And uh, it leaves a people lost, to be quite honest, in many ways. We see the society in which we live, and those of us that know the Scriptures, that know Christ as our Savior, that know his word, can see the reasons why it's degrading, because they have taken God out. Because we have removed those things that made our society what it was, a great society. Was it a perfect one? No, because they'll often look back and say, well, what about... It wasn't a perfect society, and it never will be in this life. But it was a society that sought to improve itself. And when errors were found and errors were seen, they did seek to make amends and make changes. Sometimes violently. We have a civil war in our history. We have the unrest of the 50s and 60s for civil rights. But there was a unitedness there that eventually came. And there was a lot that was done to seek to right the wrongs that had been done. But when we start taking God out of the picture, what is there to hope for anymore? We often see what is seemingly the hopelessness of society. Well, why is it? Because they've removed what hope there was, and that was hope in God. It's been removed. And so we have these things now creeping in, taking the place of, yes, thanking God at Thanksgiving. May we, and I know, I'm talking to the choir, well, I don't do that. We do thank, yes, thank God that we do. And may we not succumb to those that would be offended that how dare we thank God that somehow we're offending someone else. Well, I'm sorry. I can't be everything to everybody. I am going to offend people. And I'm going to be offended myself at times. And uh, that, unfortunately, is life. Does that mean we... Live that way? No, we do need to be mindful of others and watchful. But I can't change who I am. I am a believer in God. His son saved me from my sin. Let me tell you about him. Because he brings a great peace and satisfaction and joy and hope in our lives that the world cannot give us. And so we take this time to be thankful 
Because our thankfulness stems from what God has done on our behalf. Who of us doesn't rejoice that Christ redeemed us? That our sins have been forgiven, that they've been washed in the precious blood of the Lamb and remembered against us no more. That is something that we should always be joying and rejoicing and not just you know, saving up for Thanksgiving. That's the time I can rejoice. We can rejoice all year long and should. The mark of the believer that we have a blessed hope that is constant with us every day. A thankfulness. In our thanksgiving, God is always to be the focus of that thanksgiving, for he is the one who has provided all we have. And I think we all understand that and recognize that God is the giver of all. Without him, we are of all men most miserable. But we do have him. And as we look at our passage this morning and considering thanksgiving and peace, they're kind of bookends, if you will, within this passage somewhat. But thanksgiving calls for looking up. Storms in life may make thanksgiving difficult. And we all understand that. We can read the scriptures, we can see the issues that the apostles had in the life of Christ as they are with them, and God is seeking to teach them things along the way to keep their focus where it needs to be. May we not look down our noses at the apostles and others and say, well, if I would have been there, that certainly wouldn't have happened to me. Uh, Be careful. God has a way of helping us see that we're not as good as we think we are. Sadly, God knows our thoughts. We can't get anything by him. He knows. And he has a way of having us eat our words, get our attention and remind us, be careful what you ask for, be careful what you say. But storms in life can make Thanksgiving difficult. Because we have those times. We all go through times of trouble. But notice what Christ told his disciples in John 16, verse 33. It says, These things have I spoken unto you. He's just been telling them about his leaving them, but sending another comforter who will take up residence in them. It says, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. I'm glad the verse doesn't stop there and Christ didn't stop there. You say, boy, that's, that's great. I have peace in him, but in the world I'm going to have tribulation. Oh, boy. But notice he continues. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Do we get what he is saying here? The import? These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. That calmness, that serenity, 
that only God can give in the midst of the storms of life. In the world ye shall have tribulation. It should come as no surprise that the world doesn't like us. And Christ told his disciples that. They hated me, they're going to hate you. The two go hand in hand. Why? Because we're Christ. We're his children. He saved us. We're in him, as Paul would tell the Ephesians so much. We are in Christ. I am his and he is mine. And so we will have tribulation in this world. They're not going to like us. But be of good cheer. Doesn't mean we hang our heads down. Oh boy, yeah, here we go again. Back out into the world. They're not going to like me. Woe is me. You know, we sound like Eeyore. You know, he's a nice, colorful character, but you know, that's, that shouldn't be us. Or the, uh, the old cartoon that had the cloud over uh, somebody. I can't think of the cartoon that had that, but you know, that's not us, believer. Be of good cheer. Why? Yeah, there you go. Um, be of good cheer. Why? Because Christ has overcome the world. That world that's giving us tribulation, Christ has overcome. He has the victory over it. We have the battles, but we know who's won the war. We know the end, as it, as it were. Is the world going to win over us? Never. Say, but the world has persecuted the church. The world has put believers to death. Yes. And Christ reminded his disciples, don't be so concerned about those who can kill the body. The body is just a tabernacle. It's a tent. It's what we abide in in this life. But when we vacate this tabernacle, where are we as believers? We're in God's presence. I know I've said it before, but is that such a bad thing? To be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord? I think that would be a rather better thing. Say, well, Pastor, are you ready to die? In one sense, I am. Because I know where I'm going. Do I want to die within the next half hour? If the Lord takes me home in the next half hour for some reason, yes. But do I want to go specifically within the next half hour? Not necessarily. I trust God still has a ministry for me to fulfill. He's not done with me yet. And so, yes, like Paul again to the Philippians earlier in this book, I'm in a strait betwixt the two. Yes, I have a ministry to you churches, and Paul's rejoicing in that. But he also knows because he's in prison for the cause of Christ that his life is threatened. And so he realizes that if he passes, then he's in God's presence. And that's not a bad thing. And so he is caught. If I'm here, I can minister. 
But I also know that if I'm gone, I'm in God's presence. He's overcome the world for us. Yes, we have tribulation, but he's overcome it. We endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, Paul would tell Timothy. We look back to the pilgrims. Interesting to read of them. They endured hardships. I trust we know the story. I, anymore, I'm getting, you know, for the younger generation, they may not know because they weren't necessarily taught it in history class anymore. Because, you know, if you bring up the pilgrims, what, what kind of do you have to talk about? Religion-ish. You've got to talk about God. You've got to talk about why did they leave England and come to America? Because they wanted to worship God as they believed he could be worshipped. Different from the Church of England at the time. Oh, but we can't. Yes, you can. <laughs> you can talk about those things. We know the hardships, the sickness, the loneliness. Nearly half of them died that first winter. Of the 102 who left England and the two born during the voyage, only 99 actually landed on Plymouth Rock. In that small little ship. Of the 99 who landed, there would be 45 who would not live out that first winter in New England. A drought in the summer of 1623 caused them to look up. They sought God in prayer. And a gentle rain came in answer to that prayer. A good harvest resulted in that first thanksgiving as they gathered themselves, as they gathered Indians who they had befriended. And they sat down and worshipped God and thanked him for the provisions, the bounty that he had provided. Say, so how did he provide? As he always does. Who brought the rain? Who has the rain on the just and the unjust? God does. I, I just, I am struck. I get exasperated at times. You read of all those that are so involved and, and so concerned about climate change and global warming and what we can do to make the changes. And I would have to think God is sitting on his throne in heaven. I don't want to be disrespectful, but he's got a good belly laugh going right now. At man thinking that somehow he can alter what he has put in place. The laws of nature. I've got to think he's laughing. He tells us that he has man in derision. He laughs at them. 
But we see those things going on and we just wonder, like, okay, do you know what things were like, really, a thousand years ago? Do you know how much rain Columbia Falls got a thousand years ago? Was it spread out over the whole year? Did it come in one heap? How much snow did they have? We don't. And yet somehow we know exactly how things are going on. And I read articles at times and find that scientists are dumbfounded. They can't figure out why this is happening. I think God's doing some of it on purpose to let them know you don't know as much as you think you know. You know, they're a little dumbfounded with the volcano that's been going off over on the other side of the Atlantic. La Palma. It's still blowing its top. It's still spewing lava. Well, it shouldn't be doing that. Mount St. Helens did that back 20-some years ago. It was growing its mountaintop again, and the scientists were baffled. Well, normally that lava tube has, has emptied itself by now, and so this shouldn't be happening, but boy, it's still going at it. I think God had them in derision. Yes, because this is my creation, not yours. I know what I'm doing. You don't. But the pilgrims acknowledged that God was indeed the one at work. Looking up to our helper makes us a thankful people. Because we realize that all blessings come from him, all provision comes from him. And so, yes, thanksgiving calls for looking up to the one who has provided all things for us. Thanksgiving calls for looking around. We all have many blessings and ought to give thanks for them. Consider Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5, a psalm of thanksgiving. We often read it at thanksgiving. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. The psalmist kind of goes on to enumerate some of those. What benefits? Who forgiveth all thine iniquities? Who healeth all thy diseases? Who redeemeth thy life from destruction? Who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies? Who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagle's? Have we stopped to consider those things as the psalmist does? Forget not all his benefits. What benefits? He notes them. They include our sins have been forgiven. Should that not cause us ceaseless praise to our God? All my sins have been forgiven. Stop to realize. Say, but I've, I have at times troubled with my sin. Yes. Have we sought God's forgiveness? 
Yes, I have. But I'm still troubled by it. Then who's troubling you by it? It's not God. If you've sought his forgiveness, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he remembers our iniquities against us no more. They are buried in the depths of the sea. They are separated from them as far as the east is from the west. God doesn't bring our sin back and throw it in our face. Our adversary does. Because he knows he can depress us. He forgiveth all thine iniquities. He's forgiven us. He doesn't bring them back and throw them in our face after we have sought his forgiveness. Our daily health, our food, our family, our friends. As we look around us, we have much to be thankful for. We ought to start each day thankful for his many benefits. His love, his grace, his provision, his peace. Again, the salvation by faith that we have. The fact that we can open his word and read it for ourselves. You don't have to rely on me standing up here reading it. We can open it for ourselves. We can read it for ourselves. We have the privilege of praying so that we don't have to be worried, as our passage started out. Be careful for nothing, be anxious for nothing. To put it more bluntly, don't worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Oh, but I take too much pleasure in worrying. Be careful for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. We have that blessed privilege of bringing those things to him in prayer, knowing that he will meet those needs. The concerns that we have, the worries that we face, and he knows it. That's why he makes the statement, don't worry. Because we, he knows we are prone to. So he encourages us, don't. Take it to God in prayer. We get so wrapped up about so many things, and usually it's things that we have absolutely no control over. That there is no way possible that we could affect a change so that we could stop worrying about it. But those are the things we tend to worry about the most. But when we stop to start thinking about it, why are we worrying about things that we have absolutely no control over? Well, because I like to worry. Really? Do we really like to worry? I don't. I don't like having my stomach tied up in knots. I don't like that tenseness, that unsettledness. I really don't. 
that in and of itself causes me to talk to God. God, this needs to be gone. I don't know that I have mentioned it here. But on our first trip to India, when we finished teaching, the director of the mission board that Dr. Day and Molly were a part of came in for that weekend to meet them. He was a fairly new director with Baptist World Missions, and uh, he was touring uh, Southeast Asia, Southern Asia, and uh, so he was coming in, so we needed to vacate the apartment at the days so that they had a place to stay. And uh, provisions had been made uh, to visit some sisters of a lady we knew in the church in Washington, in, in Kent, Pastor Neiman's former church. Um, she had five sisters that lived in that area. And uh, arrangements were made for us to meet them and stay with them. They were Hindus. And I remember that Friday afternoon, our taxi driver comes, loads up our stuff, and uh, we start heading out away from the college. Now, this is the first time I've ever been outside of the country. We travel down some familiar roads that we've traveled, but pretty soon we take a turn and we head off to places I hadn't been before. And my mind starts wandering now. Who are these guys? A nephew and his brother-in-law had come to pick us up along with the taxi driver. I've never met them before. I have no idea. Are they really? Is this really Naja's nephew? Is that really his brother-in-law? Do they really know Naja? My mind starts running with this idea as we head off and we're going into places I've never seen before. Are they going to take us down into this jungle? and rob us and leave us here? I've got a man that is my father in age. I have a wife. And I have these two young men, and the brother-in-law is a pretty stout fella. Uh, and I've got a driver as well. I can't take all three of these guys if I have to do something here. This isn't going to... Lord... And, yes, I am getting concerned. I am working myself up in the inside. And I said, this has got to stop. <laughs> My imagination, these thoughts have got to stop. And I started praying. I said, Lord, you, 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 need, to, you need to calm me down. This is not the way this should be going. This is wrong. Lord, calm my heart. This is in the middle of the afternoon. We are 12 and a half hours ahead in time from Washington State. Which means it's the middle of the morning back home. And uh, the nephew in the back of the SUV 
gets a phone call on his cell phone. And he starts chatting away in Malaylam. And I pick up Naja in the conversation. And I keep listening. And he pauses. And he sends the phone forward and says, Naja wants to see how things are going. And she talks to, to Pastor Neiman. And I thank the Lord. Thank you, Lord. You let me know that this is indeed Naja's nephew. That we are going to see people that we've never seen before. And everything's going to be okay. God answered my prayer. He woke, I don't know that he woke Naja up in the middle of the night, but I do know this, in the middle of the night in Washington State, Naja calls her nephew to see how we're doing. Because she knew that afternoon he was picking us up to take us to see her sisters. And I thanked God for that. Thank you, Lord. This crazy thoughts of what could happen aren't going to happen. This is indeed Naja's nephew. She does know Naja. He does know Naja. Thank you for answering my prayer. Something simple, yes, but it calmed this pastor's heart, settled my nerves, settled my emotions. And when we got home and I was over the mountains to uh, see folks at a, a conference, I saw Naja and I told her this story. I said, God, use your phone call. Because this man was worked up about what could happen from the imaginations that were going on in my mind that these guys are going to leave us destitute out here and I'm not, not, not going to know how to get back to Dr. Day's place to get any help because we're stuck out here in the middle of nowhere and I don't know how to get back to where he's at. I said, but God used you to call us in the middle of the night in Washington to talk to us in the middle of the afternoon in India. I said, and it calmed and settled my heart. We do have those times that we can come to God in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. As we look around and see those things, we have the blessed privilege of prayer, of knowing God is at work. And I had a blessed afternoon after that. I was able to actually start enjoying the rest of the trip. Because God calmed this man's heart down because he was worked up about what possibly ended up never happening. But call it the, the Boy Scout in me, be prepared. You know, I was trying to think, okay, if this happens, what do I, what can I do, what should I do? And thankfully I didn't need to. God's in control. He knew what was going on. Thanksgiving calls for looking ahead. Doubt cringes and cowers, afraid of what tomorrow may bring. Like the slothful man in Proverbs, nothing will get done. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 13 says, The slothful man saith, There is a lion without, I shall be slain in the streets. Later in 26, verse 13, he says, The slothful man saith, There is a lion in the way, a lion is in the streets. The implication being, 
I'm not going to go outside. There's a lion out there. He's going to eat me. So I'm not going to go outside. I'm not going to do my responsibilities outside this house. I'm not going to go out into the fields and do my work. There's a lion out there. Well, is there a lion out there? Well, yes. I mean, we know that lions were in the Middle East. They were in the Promised Land. I mean, David slew one. So, yes, the slothful man is being truthful. There is a lion out there. Somewhere. But that doesn't stop us from moving forward, of looking ahead. Faith welcomes the future with optimism, expecting the best, because what is waiting for us, believers? God's provisions. Paul to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 5, verse 5 said, For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. We saw this once before in Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Our faith in our God and who He is and what He is doing causes us to have thanksgiving as we look ahead. Yes, we know this world is getting darker and darker. We know that it is getting farther and farther away from God. That it is getting more and more antagonistic to God. We know the tribulation is down the road. Seemingly nearer than it has ever been before. But what does that mean in the interim? Believer, we may be hearing that shout, that trumpet, and maybe the generation that leaves. Our faith in understanding who our God is and what He is doing and what plan He has to unfold keeps me looking ahead and knowing that there is a blessed hope. The glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I thank God for that. And as we see in our passage, as he closed, Paul reveals what a thankful heart contains. It contains things that are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, good, virtuous. As he continues after this prayer and seeing the peace of God passing all understanding, keeping our hearts and minds, reminds us that all of this brings us to the point that these are the things that are to be our focus. Things that are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, good, that have virtue. Think on these things. When we do, there is no room for doubt. There is no room for cowardice. There is no room for fears. When our focus 
is looking ahead, it brings great thanksgiving to us. God is at work. His plan is being worked out. And it does bring peace. God is at work. His plan is being unfolded. In the midst of hardships, there is thanksgiving. In the midst of declension, there is thanksgiving. In the midst of our darkest hour, there is thanksgiving, for God has so abundantly blessed his children. He's with us. He's ministering and meeting the needs. With thanksgiving and prayer to our God comes his peace that floods our soul and brings a calm beyond our understanding. May we truly be a thankful people and know his peace that passeth all understanding. He gives it and it settles us and it strengthens us and it causes us to rejoice in our God. Thanksgiving and peace, those things that come hand in hand as we focus on God. As we look around us, as we look ahead, as we look above, it's cause for thanksgiving. Our God is at work in us and through us. May we rejoice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the passage. We thank you for the truths that are here that Truly give peace to our souls as we see you at work with them. We have the promise to not worry, but instead pray to you. Thanking you for what you are doing and who you are and what you have accomplished knowing that there is the promise that your peace comes and garrisons us. It wraps around us. It protects us. And we thank you for that. We thank you for the times that we have seen that become realities in our lives as we have put these verses to practice. And then seeing you at work, fulfilling your promise. Father, truly may we be a thankful people. And Father, not just here as we gather ourselves together, though these are times to do so. To rejoice with our fellow believers. But Father, the world needs to see that we're a thankful people. Thankful for what you have done and the salvation that you have provided. As the psalmist reminds us to forget not all your benefits. 
Father, I pray that we would go forth a thankful people. Embraced with your peace. A peace that the world cannot understand and yet yearns for. May we show them the way of peace. So that they may have peace with you. To then enjoy your peace. When they've come by faith before you. Do that work in our hearts. Father, maybe we have not been thankful. Things have crowded in. May we set them aside. May we look beyond. And may our gaze be on you and you alone. Stir our hearts to that end, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.